Good morning. Good morning. It is um, more than a joy to be back in this room. My goodness, just sitting down here remembering back over the course of many years, everything that God has done in the city of Franklin to show me how little I actually get and believe about the gospel. And that's actually a good place to sit in, right? To be in a position where you're not presumptuous about how much you know, but the more you simply show up in God's story, the more you discover about the height and the depth and the width and the breadth. And this incredibly glorious love of Jesus that is lavished on us in the gospel that Cornerstone Prez sings and preaches and cherishes so much. So as we begin this year together, I'm simply re-entering that very same story with you. I'm standing above you by the sheer nature of this platform, but I'm very much with you in this room on ground level saying, come, O glorious God, and blow out the doors of our heart and show us yet even more of the good news of your gospel. Now, to help us go there, we're going to be reading the scripture uh, first, uh, excuse me, Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And in your notes, and wisely and appropriately, you have the ESV translation. I am not going to confuse you, but I am going to read from the NIV. Uh, I love the ESV. I've written in two of the ESV study Bibles. But I love the phrasing of the way the NIV captures our text. So I think you'll see, follow along with your ESV. But this is Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And as Nate has shared with you, the, the way we want to think about our time together this morning is a big gospel for the new year, a big gospel for the new year. And I see this so amazingly modeled and taught through this scripture. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God for his word. Paul writes, I Thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let me pray once again briefly. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, glorious triune God, I stand before you first and foremost, but in the midst of your cherished people. Lord, 
I bless you for Cornerstone Presbyterian Church. I bless you for the joy, the humility, the gifting, the calling you've placed upon Nate. Uh, I thank you, Lord. It's just such a, a, a refreshing, refreshing part of my story to see how the gospel is just exploding in Nate's heart. And Lord, my dear brother Greg Wilbur, this whole team, Lord, many in this room now, many in the next service that I so uh, treasure friendship with. Lord, come now and bring your word to bear upon our hearts. Uh, Come in stunning reality. As Jonathan Edwards prayed, Lord, wrap your word around our hearts. We would not confuse knowledge with spirituality. Uh, Intensify our joy. Uh, Break chains that still bind us to old ways that we might come alive to new ways to live and love well in this place and in our community in light of the day when Jesus will return to finish making all things new. We pray with confidence in his name, now and forever. Amen. Well, three things in this text I want to refer to that will, I think, very readily move us to the table of God's grace this morning. Three things that emerge from this remarkable scripture uh, that will help us think through a big gospel for this new year. And they are simply these, Paul's gospel, Paul's freedom, And Paul's prayer, as much as I enjoy just looking at this text, both in the Greek and simply in any good English translation, what intrigues me as much as the actual language the Spirit gave is the life of the servant who gave it. Uh, I am as convicted by Paul the messenger as I am the message of Paul. You you cannot read the Philippian epistle without realizing there's something very unique going on in the life of this man. And as I think about his context, we know when when he wrote this letter, he is in a Roman imprisonment. He's not on a Mediterranean cruise sipping pina coladas, fanning himself while he's shooting gospel missives to those in other contexts. Paul is not in a desirable context. And that's what highlights, underscores, makes so intriguing his utter joy and freedom. And so when I think about Paul's words to us, follow me as I follow Christ, I don't just think in terms of ramping up a dedication to do more and try harder. I hear a man who would say, I want this gospel that has brought uber freedom to my heart to free you as well. And that's why we start in the first few verses with considering Paul's gospel. In verses 3 through 6, you see it is a gospel of past, present, and future grace. He speaks as a man of remembering with regard to his audience here in the house churches of Philippi, uh, they're, they're beginning together. They're, there's a past, and he's very thankful and mindful of what's going on in their midst right now. He writes about that in the rest of the letter. But then he runs ahead in the Scripture to that glorious eschatological dimension of the day of the Lord. And you see, that's important for us. It's important for us 
in this amazing chapel to, to know that, that that will always be a part of our calling to, to remember the past, present, and future of the gospel with regard to the actual work of Jesus, but also with regard to our own stories. So let's, let's start, first of all, with regard to Jesus. You go through the rest of Philippians and you see very clearly the past tense of what Jesus has done for us in the great Christ hymn of the second chapter of Philippians. Paul just regales the magnificence of the one who is eternally the second member of the Trinity doing that which is almost inconscionable. He takes to himself the form of a servant, becomes a man like us. We've just celebrated his incarnation. And in, the, in Philippians 2, he just shows us this rich history of the once and for allness of the finished work of Jesus. He lived in our place. He died in our place. He was bodily, literally raised. He has been exalted. And in that Christ hymn, Paul, of course, anticipates the future of the day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a past in the gospel that we need to remember. Remembering in Scripture is never just cognitive recall. Um, it is always far more this picture of remembering into the present moment all the saving benefits of Christ. It's why when we take the Lord's Supper this morning, we know that we're not just into a notional Eucharist. We expect the real presence of Jesus to meet us at this table because he really is here. And he really meant it when he said, it is finished. There is a work done, church, that fuels our joy. The Father has declared his complete acceptance of all the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for us. There is a past. There is a present. Philippians 3, Paul, who knows Christ, would go on to pray, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. There's a past to what he has done. There's a present, uh, and let me use the word appropriately, uh, existential reality of going deeper and deeper and deeper into the knowledge of Christ. Paul models that for us. Uh, the gospel should be the most redemptive bag of potato chips you ever met. Now, hang with me a moment. That sounds rather marginalizing. But do you, some of you are old enough to remember with me the old Lay's commercial bit, you can't eat just one. You know that commercial? Two of you. Good. All right. There was a commercial that basically tantalized our taste buds by saying there's some foods you cannot eat a little of. Um, in Narnia speak, that might be Turkish delight in a far more redemptive framework. It's the gospel. You cannot begin to simply snack on Jesus without realizing the wonder of what it means to be known of him and the calling to know more of him. There is a past, there's a present, there's a future. More about the future later. But you see, that also plays out in our own experience. I'm standing in a room right now that I had past history with. This past, present, and future work of Jesus is connected to real story because God has signed on to be a God who still works in history. Uh, I, I can look out in this room right now uh, and, and remember the first time I entered it. I, I know funerals that I have preached in this room. I know of uh, prayer meetings that went all night in this very room. I know of weddings. In fact, one of the weddings I most, re I think the last wedding I did here was for um, uh, goodness gracious, uh, 
Jim and Lynn Henderson, Katie Henderson. And it was like deja vu to be standing down here marrying Katie Henderson. Her mom's right over here. And I did her wedding 26 years earlier. See, if you stay around long enough, you get old. And, but, you know, but I baptized Katie Henderson. I married Katie. I married her mom. And this week, I buried Lynn's dad. But you know what, folks? It's, it's, it's the story they're remembering is not just connected to us. Do y'all know that with, about the room you're sitting in right now? How much do you know about what God has done historically in this city of Franklin? This room was actually taken over during the Civil War by the Union soldiers. Became an infirmary. It was burned to the ground. See, First Baptist Church was planted before the Civil War. People were saved in this room during the Civil War. In fact, this is just fascinating history. There are three on-record certifiable revivals that happened in Franklin, Tennessee. During the Civil War, right at the street from us at First Methodist Church, some of you know this, E.M. Bounds, the great writer of prayer, was their pastor. So if you've ever read of anything by E.M. Bounds on prayer, hey, he was, a, he was a part of our community. He would have gone to Marydees if there'd been Marydees in that day. But the, the point is this, three revivals took place long before there was a First Baptist Franklin, long before there was a Christ Community Church, long before there was a Cornerstone Press. And remembering connects us to what God has been faithful to do, first and foremost through Jesus. That past is grounded in the person and the work of Jesus, even as the present is. So great was one of the revivals in Franklin that they actually built a tabernacle that outside of our city that conducted services six nights of the week for five years. They could barely contain all the people that wanted to show up and hear about Jesus. We need to know that about our city. We need to know that about moving in to 2015 that we're, we are partnering with God in his story. That's why I love the word partnership in verse 5. Paul is thanking God for the whole Philippian fabric of the community. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day to now. Well, partnership in the gospel wasn't just one church planning team getting together to do something. No, partnership in the gospel is our partnership with the triune God, with what the triune God is signed on for. It's so much bigger than us, folks. Isn't it great to grow older in grace, to realize you matter, but you're not the point. Isn't it awesome to get over you? I mean, one of the greatest things that happens is when grace so intrigues us and transforms us, we move beyond ourselves. And we literally think about the fact that, that because the gospel's true, we're not called to do anything for the Lord, but everything with the Lord. We're not to give our Heavenly Father, our Savior Jesus, or God the Holy Spirit, bit parts on our story. Actually, we're finding our place in God's story. There have been revivals. There is yet a great revival that will come to Franklin. It's called the new heaven and new earth. Paul lived in light of the day when the knowledge of God's glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. We are bid to join with him in, th in thinking and seeing in those terms. It is 
augustly freeing to understand just how big this gospel really is. Past, present, and future, all bound up with the finished work of Jesus that gives us encouragement and power in the current work of Jesus in view of the day of the finished work of the King who will return to make all things new. A gospel of past, present, and future grace. A gospel of partnership, first and foremost, with God, then with fellow believers in other churches. It's wonderful to see the multiplying of partners in this very church. And I do pray that 2015 will move a lot of you more out of the realm of being a a spectator of the gospel and more of a partner. Um, There are, as Francis Schaeffer, one of my mentors back in the 70s said, there are no little people in God's story. There are no big people. We all are written into the fabric of this great, great story. But that takes me secondly now to the theme of Paul's freedom. Paul's gospel runs throughout the Philippian epistle, uh, his boasting in a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, his desire to see God work remarkably even from his prison cell. And that, that does bring us in verse 7 and 8 to the theme of his freedom. How do we understand Paul's freedom in verses 7 and 8 and really in verses following in chapter 1? Well, freedom from the, freedom from the idol of reputation Notice what Paul's doing here. He's, he, he, he offers this observation on the difficulty of a circumstance. I'm, I feel wonderful about you, men and women of Philippi. Uh, and, and he says, and, and, and this, is, this is true, whether I am in prison, which he was at the moment of his writing, or out defending the gospel, I'm excited for what God is doing in you and through you, even though right now I cannot join you. You see, there's something awesome when your heart gets excited about how God is using other people than you. But to let you see just how much greater that freedom is for Paul, remember later in Philippians what he offers thanks for? He said, well, and oh, by the way, while I am in prison, some are exploiting my weakness and they're slandering me. This is remarkable if you go later in the same chapter. And and Paul talks about a very real pain. Um, Some um, competition, as it were, beginning to refer to Paul. If he were really such a man of faith, would he be in prison? But you remember Paul's response? He said, you know, look, the bottom line is this. As long as Christ is being preached from pure motive or impure motive, all I want is for Jesus to be out there. I want to be that free. (laughs) How about you? Wouldn't it be awesome to think 2015 is going to be a year when we individually and collectively at Cornerstone Press really don't care squat what people think about us in the community. We're not working for our own reputation. We want Jesus to be bigger, better, and more beautiful to everybody because we're here. But if God decides to use other churches in more remarkable ways than us, we're going to be right there saying, you go, because we're in the same family and story together. See, freedom in Christ expands the horizon of what we see. And, and your senior pastor models this so well. I mentioned this to Nate earlier. Uh, he increasingly looks like one of his primary spiritual dads, Ligon Duncan. And I know Ligon has preached here pretty recently. And uh, 
And I'm so thankful, Nate, that he is a father. But I've walked with Ligon for quite some time, more as an acquaintance than a close friend. But through Gospel Coalition, I've watched Ligon find so much joy and cross-pollinating in the body of Christ well beyond the, the blessed boundaries we call the PCA. Uh, you know, Ligon actually has close Baptist friends. Go figure. Ligon has a remarkable array of men and women, servants and scholars of Jesus that he knows more than ever. I'm so glad we're in the same family and same story. Um, it is a mark of growth and grace to be able to pray from our pulpits to celebrate with what's going on in our community. And I do pray increasingly that you will encourage uh, your whole staff, your lead pastor in particular, to, to, to be that champion of unity and diversity in our community. To be able to give you remarkable reports of what God is doing uh, all around us. It, it, you know, I tell you, one of, the, one of the seasons that I was in that I remember, and this is something I only picked up on from Jack Miller, my spiritual dad of 21 years. Uh, every church, every single church goes through what I call its season of being the church of the first buzz. Now, that simply means this. When you're new, people want in. But after a while, you become the church of the second buzz, then the third buzz. And remember, long after Christ's community was known to be a place where all kinds of people were coming into the city, we moved on, we moved up the road, and, 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 and we weren't the new kid on the block. And Jack challenged me, said, Scotty, Long before even that day, he said, actively pray for other churches from your pulpit. And enjoy every season God puts you in. He, he would say, God will give you seasons as a church where the gospel almost seems too good to be true. And God will give you seasons as a church where the gospel better be true. It's a part of what it means to grow in Jesus, right? And, and I, I just say, let's look, from, let's look at Paul's model here. He is in prison. He's not primarily thinking about, will you guys ramp up your prayer so I can get out of prison? He's just so aware of what God is doing in God's world, in God's way. Oh, brothers and sisters of Cornerstone Press, may that contagion, that Holy Spirit contagion run through you. Uh, be smitten with this gospel, know this gospel, love your theology, but be astonished by this gospel of grace. Be free. Thirdly and lastly, third aspect of this remarkable text and the one that we will land on as we prepare to sing our next hymn and celebrate the table. From Paul's gospel, we go to Paul's freedom, to Paul's prayer. Now, let me read this prayer. And this is my prayer, says Paul, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. In conclusion, I want to simply talk about four aspects of this prayer that i I don't lay, well, maybe I will lay on you as a charge. Nate encouraged me to kind of see this as not a, the cheerleader moment, but, but charge us in this gospel. And I think this prayer charges us clearly in the gospel for the upcoming year and every year. Uh, it's obvious that the burden of the prayer in verse 9 is, is love. 
So I see, how, I see this emerging in the text. Love Jesus, love one another, love Franklin, love in light of the day. When Paul says in verse 9, when he challenges believers in light of the gospel and his own freedom, when he prays that their love would abound, where should we go first and foremost with that? Well, well really, to the love of the Lord, and we know that because, as I've already mentioned, a couple of texts throughout the Philippian letter, Paul makes that his constant theme. It's why, even before he gets into the Christ hymn of Philippians 2, he starts with this incredible uh, underhand pitch when he says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, any tenderness and affection by the Holy Spirit, then make my joy complete. First and foremost, Paul is challenging the men and women of Philippi as I do we in Franklin today, with loving the Lord our God with everything that we have and are. Cornerstone Press, if you would be known for anything, if you could choose that story, if you could have a family vote, run a survey, I pray that you would all agree we would love to be a church known for the fact that we love our God. Now, that would not be new, novel, or rocket science because Jesus himself summarized the entire covenant document by saying this is what God was always up to from Genesis through Malachi. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is that going to look like? It's going to look like greater humility in this church because you cannot love God without becoming humbled. How dare we think of being so familiar with the thrice holy God of the universe? Who do we think we are? We are those upon whom God has set his lavish love in Christ. So loving God with everything we have in our, it's going to show up in our worship. It's going to show up uh, in, 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 in everything that we do. It's why the second part, no doubt, of Paul's charge is to, to love one another. I'll tell you this, that of, you know, I've kind of looked back on those 26 years I was a part of Christ Community Church, and for whatever reason, God in His sovereignty gave us almost, and it wasn't from a beginning of a day and the ending of a day, but there was about a 10-year, there was about a 10-year season in our church that I, I only know now to call as a big gospel bomb that Jesus dropped on downtown Franklin. Nobody can take credit for it. You don't go back and you say, what three things did we did right that we stopped doing for it, not continuing? Not at all. I think now that of all the travel that I do, I've got a better understanding about what God was sovereignly up to in that remarkable brief moment of, of kind of a, a, go, a gospel revival light that impacted many people. And when we showed up and started meeting in our sanctuary, literally, here's what we wanted to do. We, we accepted as a core value gospel astonishment. And what that was going to mean was, Lord, help us to love you. Now, what that translated into was an environment where we were really free to need Jesus together. And that really began to impact our relationships more than anything else. I remember years when Vanderbilt professors would come and sit in that old sanctuary that's now a courthouse, sit right next to street people without shoes on. And there was such a remarkable presence of people needing Jesus together and therefore defenses being lowered 
and all the enculturation that goes with the city, it just did not matter. And the moment and the season where we were most alive to the love of God lavished on us and were free to respond in a growing sense of adoring the triune God, it gave us as a leadership culture the seasons when we were most likely to repent together. There were years where we as a session, we had two meetings a month. One meeting a month was just for blasting our own hearts with the gospel, encouraging each other in prayer. Jack Miller, yet again, my spiritual dad, as Lick and Duncan to Nate, said, Scotty, just pray that your leaders will be the chief repenters in the church. Now, that was an odd phrase because it kind of sounded like, do we need to go look for the, for, the, you know, for the pirates to join your session, the people that have got more to repent of? No. We all have an equal amount to repent of, but who's going to be the most free to cry, Abba, that we might cry out to one another, will you pray for me? And I tell you, the seasons of being alive to the love of God, the seasons of learning to love one another, the seasons of when our, uh, our leaders were more ready to, at the end of a service just to love on whoever the Lord brought into this remarkable piece of real estate, uh, I travel now a lot more than I ever have, and invariably I run into people somewhere in the country that this is their story. Scotty, I never met you, but when I was a rebellious student at Belmont or Vanderbilt, someone drug me down to Franklin, and I had to sit in a windowsill. And sitting in a windowsill, I was converted. You know, I almost wish we had, before we tore down the building, taken out one of the windowsills, because I've heard so many windowsill stories of people being converted, sitting because there's no place to be in a room because we're all showing up hearing that maybe the gospel is actually as good as the Bible says it is. Brothers and sisters, I charge you, in light of Paul's gospel, in light of Paul's freedom, let's believe Paul's prayer. Love the Lord your God in light and in response of this gospel. Love one another. Love Franklin. Now, Again, this isn't a new word to you because y'all have continued to do that. It's, it's, it's beautiful to see your pastor loving this downtown community. I refer to Nate sometimes as the abbot of Franklin. He just walks around and loves the city. Follow your abbot. Uh, you know, be those that love your community. Get to know the brokenness. Get to know the systemic evil that still persists in this community. As those coming alive to the love of Jesus, we are those to live in light of the day when defeated evil will be eradicated evil. And you see, this is what it means to love our city. What brokenness is a part of downtown Franklin that Cornerstone Press has been called into? Keep raising up the Dan's and the Julie's to go overseas, but stay very present in your city, asking God to exegete for you what's going on in our community. Lastly, love in light of the day. You know, this text begins and ends with this remarkable theme of, uh, of how generous our God is. Uh, see, our labors in the Lord are not in vain. Why? Because the King who has come, who has lived and died and raised for us, He is coming back. Um, it's kind of like we are way, 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 way junior partners. He is actively making all things new. And you see, the hope that we have as a church is to love our God, to love our city, to love one another is the sanest thing we can do because it connects us to the ultimate story, living in light of the day when the nations will gather, 
when our king will have his bride from every race, tribe, tongue, and people group, and we will inhabit this very world, not annihilated, but made new. And, uh, and uh, uh, you know, what more could we want for 2015? Dear Cornerstone Brother, what more could we want? I'm sitting here praying from my own heart as I lead us now to a prayer and then our hymn of praise, and then we'll come to this table. Just know that it's an honor to stay in the story with you. Just know that you do have a guy that loves so many of you. Most of you, perhaps, as I look around, I'm not even sure of your names. That may be my age more so than I haven't met you. But I'm thrilled for what the Lord has done and is doing. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word, for your gospel, for the call to freedom, Jesus. Uh, None of us are yet as free as you intend Thank you that we get to live in the greater uh, Middle Tennessee. Thank you for Franklin, Lord. Thank you that there's a beauty that's emerging in our city that certainly is architectural, that certainly is economic, that certainly, uh, you know, uh, attributable to a lot of wise city planners. But, Lord, we want the real beauty to mark the city in this upcoming year is the, is the beauty of our God. Earlier, Lord, we proclaimed that there's one, if we could have one thing, it would be living in the temple of our God, gazing upon the beauty of our God. Lord, we now become that temple. Lord Jesus, you... Uh, through your resurrection, have become the ultimate temple, the cornerstone that we are united to. I pray 2015 will be a a year of beautifying Franklin as you beautify Cornerstone Prez. I pray there'll be more joy, more peace, more freedom by the Spirit of God in this church than ever before. I pray that that some will wonder if Nate's not going to doxologically implode one day in the pulpit because he's so smitten with the beauty and the love of Jesus. Lead him, lead this whole church forward, we pray in light of the day that you shall return, Jesus, to finish making all things new. And together we truly cry out, hallelujah with a Savior, hallelujah with a salvation, in Jesus' name, amen.